podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramelides and Dr. Sidlow. Uh, usually, the last few weeks, we've been doing the Monday podcast together, Sydney. We've been meeting up in the wonderful Podmobile and the magical car park and recording uh, the Monday pod. But today, you're in Seville, ahead of Chelsea against Porto there tomorrow night. So we're doing this uh, remotely. I can still see you, thankfully, uh, which is which is the main I point. can't see you, though. Uh, you, you're you're cowering behind you the Zoom TV, screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got, I haven't got my camera turned on on the Zoom, but you, 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 know, you don't like to hide. I'm more of a voyeur. I like, to, I like to hide and watch you, Sid, while you're podcasting. Anyway, this has taken a rather peculiar turn inside the first 40 seconds. So let's get straight to the uh, football because there is so much for us to uh, talk about on the weekend uh, where it was the Classico and where the gap at the top of the table was further shrunk by Real Madrid's beating Barcelona and Atletico dropping points. There are now just two points separating the top three. Atletico are top, point behind them are Real Madrid, point behind them are Barcelona. But there is more to La Liga than just Real Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico. And this is what else happened on match day 30. The Friday night game saw Wesker beat Elche by three goals to one. Rafa Mir getting on the score sheet again for Wesker, who moved off bottom out of the relegation zone, they are on course for the great escape. Fantastic uh, from Pacheta's side. Saturday saw Cadiz beat Getafe by a goal to nil. Getafe continue to struggle. They're still not able to pull away from the relegation zone. Athletic nil, Alaves nil. Another relatively disappointing showing from Marcelino's athletic club. Alaves are is very much still in the relegation zone. Their second bottom. Bottom of the table are Eibar, who are beaten at home 1-0 by Levante. It's looking really, really ropey now for Eibar, who are bottom and on a really, really negative run of form. I think it's 13 games without a win. Then Barca beat Barcelona. Uh, Madrid beat Barcelona by two goals to one uh, in a game which gave us... Loads of talking points. We're going to try and hit as many as possible uh, in just a second. Sunday saw uh, Osasuna end Villarreal's six-match winning streak in all competitions by beating them 2-1 at the Estadio de la Ceramica. Uh, Valencia came from 2-0 down to draw at home 2-2 with Real Sociedad. Granada came from 1-0 down to win 2-1 at Valladolid. And Real Betis and Atletico Madrid played out a fascinating and entertaining 1-1 draw at the Estadio Benito Villamarín. A really, really big game in the title race. It meant that Atletico went back to the top of the table after Real Madrid had briefly reached the summit thanks to that victory over Barca. Monday night see Celta play Sevilla. If Sevilla win, <laughs> they're only six points behind the top spot as well. They're, they're, they're very much going to be fourth. They could still have something to say in the title race as well. Anyway, to the Classico, uh, which saw three goals. Uh, the woodwork hit four times. We had a sending off. We had a possible penalty for Barcelona as well. It was action-packed. It was, Sid, one of the best Classicos we've seen in recent years. Yeah, it was really enjoyable, wasn't it? And we've always said that the Classico is a, a rare big game because it almost always delivers. One of the things that's made, I think, the last 
handful of Classicos disappointing is that they come in the context of Classicos that are almost always really, really good. You know, we had the first Classico without any goals for, I think, 32 Classicos. Uh, when was that last season or the season be- or the back end of the season before? Um, and this was a lot of fun. It wasn't maybe... Uh, there were moments of technical brilliance, but it was maybe not so much a, a technically enjoyable Classico as, a, as an epic Classico. Obviously, that's enhanced by the fact that it was played out in an ex- quite extraordinary storm. And, and genuinely, that, that footage of Leo Messi sh- um, shivering uh, and, and looking close to hypothermia when he changed his shirt, I think gives you a, a glimpse of that. So too does the post-match interview with, with Nacho, who, who at one point had to apologise because he couldn't quite get his words out because he was, said he was shivering too much. Courtois saying that he couldn't really feel his hands properly. Um, but it was a really, really enjoyable, pretty wild kind of game. Uh, which ultimately could have gone anyway, which is the way you want it. A game I, I was looking at earlier, I think it's 24 shots between the two teams or 25 shots between the two teams and, 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 and a lot of fun. And I suppose, and forgive me for saying this, Atletico Madrid fans, and forgive me for the saying this, Barcelona fans, in terms of making the league title race as tight as possible, it's probably the perfect round of, week, uh, of results at the weekend. Um, to have had Atletico draw so they go back top and, and just keep a little bit of a gap between them but to have all three of them within two points is, is I think going to be quite a lot of fun Obviously I was watching the game with quite a lot of uh, Real Madrid fans who were absolutely furious that the side weren't able to kill off Barcelona they had plenty of chances uh, particularly in the in the first half but then also in in the second half as well they had really good chances to get the to get the third goal it felt almost inevitable that Barcelona would equalize they very 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 nearly did with the penultimate kick of the game Elias Moriba thrashing the crossbar the ball then falling to Ter Stegen who'd come up for the corner only for his shot to be to be blocked um what did Madrid get right and, and Barcelona get wrong? Because in the first half, certainly, it felt like Real Madrid were extremely superior. And should we perhaps give give Zidane quite a lot of credit? Um, I'm going to suggest here in the last three games, we've seen him employ three different formations in his team. So against Abar, they went with three at the back. Then it changed things up against uh, Liverpool, subsequently changed things up again uh, against uh, Barcelona. And certainly for the first half, much like against Liverpool, he got things really, really right. Yeah, and I think the similarity is probably more with the Liverpool game than, than with the, the Abar game, not least because, yeah. of course, the level of opponent makes that the, the case. I think we, we discussed the other day whether we were sure that he was always going to play a four-man defence against Liverpool or whether playing with a three-man defence or five, depending on whether you want to call it three or five, a five-man defence um, in the previous game had been a, a kind of, if you like, a, a practice run um, and whether that had actually been changed because of the, the, the fact that Varane had got uh, coronavirus. I think I think you're right in the, the, the approach to this. I actually thought Barcelona started quite well in terms of their use of the ball. Um, they, 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 were, they were moving it around reasonably well. It looked like they were kind of they were they were ready to try and maintain position. But I think Zidane got it right in terms of finding the space behind the two wing backs, of which there was much too much. I think from Barcelona's point of view, that the driving runs from Fede Valverde and Vinicius, even though they're different types of runs, so Vinicius is released beyond Fede is coming from deeper and going beyond. But the two of them, that kind of directness. 
I think was was really really beneficial for for, for Real Madrid in that certainly in the first half I thought they they managed that very well as you rightly say they got the two goals admittedly they get the two goals with only their first two shots and they're both brilliant goals um, well I say they're both brilliant goals let me rephrase that the first is a brilliant goal the second is 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 a really good run from Vinicius that creates the free kick from which it's perhaps a little bit of a fluke in fact it's quite a lot of a fluke but so they scored from their only two chances but there there was I think that feeling that they were going to cause Barcelona damage. And, and, and certainly, once they were a goal up, and even more so once they were 2-0 up, you felt this game is exactly where Real Madrid wanted to be because they're now in a situation where, tactically at least, what they want out of this game is right now what Barcelona want out of this game too. Barcelona step up the possession. Barcelona put pressure on them. OK, now we can go beyond them. Now, that didn't last for the whole of the second half, but it lasted probably, what, 10, 15 minutes into the second half, they had a, a couple more breakaways. They, they, they could have put it beyond them. And I think Zidane read that uh, really quite well. Uh, broadly speaking, it was a 4-4-2 for Real Madrid uh, against Barcelona, having played 4-3-3 against Liverpool and, and 3-5-2 against, against Abar. The fourth man in midfield being Fede Valverde, who put in a, a lung-busting performance, as he often does. He was really important in the first Clasico as well at the, at the camp now. A lot of the Madridistas I was watching it with were saying, Fede has to start every game. You've got to find a way to get Fede Valverde into this team. What's, what's your view on, on how he should be played? Uh, my view on it is it's quite difficult to find that place for him. Um, I think it's possibly a little bit easier when you have players injured because he's not a natural addition to the forward line and he's not actually a, a natural addition to the midfield in terms of the positions of the other players. And actually, I think you see... He's Real Madrid's quickest player. Exactly. And, and, and actually, I think what, you, what happens with that is you can see that a little bit in what happened on Saturday, which is if you play a midfield that's got Cruz, Modric and Casemiro in it, which I think you have to, because they're an absolutely brilliant midfield. The natural positions for those three is in a three, because Modric isn't a right-sided midfielder and Cruz isn't a left-sided midfielder, but neither of them are going to play right in the very middle, so it's, it's normally close to Casemiro. So you play um, uh, what would be a midfield three shape, so you have what the Spanish always refer to as interiores, which would be Moose, uh, Cross, Cross and Modric. And then, of course, you've got Casemiro at the base of it. If you add Fede Valverde in as an, an extra man, what sort of happens is instead of it being a 4-4-2, it's a 4-3-plus-1-2. So Fede Valverde kind of has the right wing on his own and the others almost play as if he wasn't there. You know, they maybe nudge, Modric nudges maybe a little bit closer to the centre to give a bit more room to Valverde. But those three play almost as if he wasn't there. So it's almost as if you were setting up a, a three-man midfielder with wing-backs going past. But on the right, of course, you've got a full-back and a wing-back. And on the left, you've got only the wing-back, which is Mendy coming up from full-back. So it slightly breaks the structure a little bit. But I think it's right that he, he has to play and there has to be a place for him. And that's the natural place. I suppose the other way of doing it, to, to if kind of psychologically at least, is to structure it as a 4-3-3. And he's the, front of the, front, he's the right-hand side of the front three, but then coming from much, much deeper. What I mean by that is it it creates uh, a lack of symmetry in a formation, but that's not necessarily a problem. So long as his his presence on the pitch doesn't, if you like, kind of mess with the natural positioning of that middle three, then I think it can work really well. I I agree with you completely. You know, the the speed, the dynamism, the the kind of freshness he gives the team, I think is really, really um, important for them. I think in particular, if you're wanting to run at teams from deeper, if you're wanting to run beyond teams on the counter-attack, he's really, really important. If you want to maintain possession and you want to slow the game down, then perhaps it, he doesn't fit it quite as well. Because, of course, that's the nature of his, his characteristics. Um, what did Barcelona get wrong, then, in this game? 
Uh, I mean, look, in a funny sort of way, not masses, but the things they got wrong were so bad. No? Well, the things they got wrong were so badly wrong that, that it looks like masses. I don't, I, think, I think if you look at them and say, right, let's pinpoint the things they got wrong. There aren't a whole load of different things. I think what there are is the consequence of uh-huh. one basic thing which is that they have wing-backs, Destin and Jordi Alba, and a team that plays very high. And then those wing-backs are certainly Alba, perhaps a bit more than Des, but, but, but certainly Alba. You catch the space behind them far too easily. Far too easily. And it was, it was very, very easy, I think, for Real Madrid to play beyond them. And of course, once Madrid had got the first goal, it felt even more like that was the case because at that point, Barcelona having to chase a little bit further. Uh, it meant that there was only two of them up front, of course, because, because by playing like that and moving De Jong into midfield, you lose Griezmann out the forward line. To be honest with you, I don't necessarily think that was a terrible decision from the, point of, from the perspective of the start of the game. I don't, I, you know, that when, when that lineup was announced, that was the lineup I was expecting. And it's not a lineup that I would have said, I can't believe you're doing mm-hmm. this. Um, but I think you, you can't get caught that easily. And to be honest with you, <clears throat> the Jordi Alba's attempt to stop Fede Valverde. Now, look, Fede Valverde, when he's up and running, is very difficult to stop. But Jordi Alba's attempt to stop him was pretty pitiful, to be honest. It was. It was. Um, let's highlight the two respective sides' records in big games this season. Real Madrid have beaten Barcelona twice. They've beaten Atletico Madrid. They've beaten Sevilla. They've beaten runaway Serie A leaders into Milan twice. They've also beaten Liverpool. They've lost to Levante, Cadiz, Alaves, Alcoyano and Shakhtar Donetsk. If you look at Barcelona in big games, well, they were beaten by Atletico Madrid. They were beaten twice by Real Madrid. Uh, They were beaten comprehensively by Paris Saint-Germain at home. Uh, They were beaten by Juventus on match day six at uh, at 3-0, when all they had to do was not lose 3-0 to finish top, and they ended up finishing 3-0. I think it's clear that Ronald Koeman has done some good things at Barcelona this season but in those big games in almost every single one of those big games they've come up short yeah and that's uh, where you quite rightly can contrast that to Real Madrid there is something about Real Madrid that the means... Super Cup as well I didn't even mention the Spanish Super Cup yeah although that said to be fairness to be fair rather Real Madrid lost in the Spanish Super Cup as well um, but but there is something about Real Madrid that in those big games they respond and that says something about the quality of the team it says something about the the kind of the competitive mindset of the team and of course that does I think in all fairness as well pose questions about the competitive mindset in those games that maybe in theory it's harder to be to be up for um, in that's that's possibly part of the explanation for Real Madrid that there's there's something kind of psychological there that they don't respond until they absolutely know they had to and, and I think we said this in the build-up to the game we said the bad news for Real Madrid is this is a game they really can't afford to lose but the good news for Real Madrid is that this is a game that they really can't afford to lose and because it does feel like those are ones that they respond to from Barcelona's point of view the fact that they haven't responded against the bigger teams. On one level, maybe it asks questions about character against games when it's more difficult, when they're not allowed to play, when perhaps it's a bit more physical, when perhaps they, they, they aren't given, you know, it's not getting it all their own way in terms of having possession all game. Um, I think the other thing is it poses a very basic question, which is, is there a possibility that they're just not that good? Even though they appear to be very, very good when they're, when they're playing other sides, is there a possibility that, that somehow this is just not quite a good enough team? Um, and you know we we were talked about this in the in the sliding doors podcast uh, just before the weekend. We're saying you know could this Clasico be a sliding doors moment because could it be the one that has the impact on what Messi decides? 
Now, the reason I bring this up now isn't because it matters enormously whether or not Messi stays in terms of this specific conversation. Obviously, it matters for other conversations. Is because we know that a big part of Messi's thinking is, is this a team that can win things? Is this a team that can respond when it really matters in the biggest games? And as you say, the, the fact they haven't this year, that list that you've read out, does then maybe pose the question that Messi himself, I'm sure, will be thinking, which is, are we just not that good? You know, is, is that the answer to this? Is this not just about character and so on? Is it about something very, very basic, which is we are good enough for all those other games, and so just the application of that level, week in, week out, great, or most weeks anyway, great, there you win. But then against the bigger teams, is there something missing? That said, obviously, we should put this into context and say they... Um, they went to Sevilla and beat them. They beat Sevilla in the second leg of the, of the Copa del Rey. Um, they were only beaten 1-0 by Atletico Madrid. They hit the bar in the final minute of this game and, and they would probably think to themselves that in the second half at least they got it right. And by the way, to take it back to your original question, that was with moving back to a 4-3-3. So maybe you ask that question as well. Um, but but I think the feeling, even though it was very close and even though it's always risky when you when you load everything on the results... The feeling is that, that Madrid come out of this really, really reinforced with a real sense of, OK, we can do this. And Barcelona are the complete opposite. Uh, not if you read the Catalan dailies uh, today, because they're both uh, going with the headlines that underline the fact that the squad still believe. They still believe that they can win this title. And of course they can. They're only two points behind Atletico Madrid, who they have to play at the camp now uh, in a few weeks' time. But... As we always say, this Spanglish word, the sensations are perhaps more positive uh, around Real Madrid than around Barcelona at the moment. But there's still eight games to go. There's still 24 points up for grabs. Um, Sydney, what did we think about Ronald Koeman and his post-match antics with the brolly and the penalty? Uh, well, it's, it's a, an automatic meme, isn't it? Yeah. I thought, I mean, for what it's worth, I, I, I don't think it's a penalty. That said, uh, uh, and I say this very much, what do you call this in English? Muy ami pesar. Very much in spite of myself, or I say this with a heavy heart. With a heavy heart, yeah. Um, yeah, um, we have seen those kind of penalties given. Now, for what, for what it's worth, I think we should never see those kind of penalties given, but we have. Uh, but no, and him walking off, I mean, I think he was essentially trying... So for those of our listeners who haven't seen it, he's interviewed post-game. He says it's a clear penalty. He says it makes all the difference because, of course, if we score, if we get that and we score, it's 2-2. He says, I don't know what we've got VAR for in Spain. Get rid of the VAR then. I must admit, I'm with him on that. <laughs> get rid of the VAR. And he, he says... Um, and then he says to the interviewer, do you think it's a penalty? Come on, it's a penalty, isn't it? And the interviewer says, well, I, I think I'm, I'm not here to ask that question. He says, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to stick your neck out. And the, the, the irony of it was he used the Spanish phrase, if you don't want to get yourself wet, and it's absolutely pissing down the rain. Yeah. He says, if you don't want to get yourself wet, then don't. And he turns around and walks off, taking the umbrella with him, by the way, which I'm pretty sure isn't his umbrella. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the TV company's umbrella that he's walked off with. Yes, it was um, a meme-worthy moment, yeah. So sorry, I've explained what it is. I haven't said. I ha- yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I've explained what it is. I haven't said what I thought about it. I yeah, thought well, it was petty. It was a little but, bit, but and the fact that he does seem to talk about the referees quite a lot. I mean, maybe some Barcelona fans like that. They 
think that oh, I'm sure been some do. By the way, oh, definitely, and, and they want a manager to come out and call it out. Definitely, there are lots of fans who who feel that about their clubs, not just at Madrid or Barcelona. Lots of clubs. Oh, it's about time someone stood up and defended us and stuff. I personally think that's a, a short-sighted approach. I personally don't think it's the right thing to do. I can understand why people feel that urge, and I can particularly, by the way, understand why Kuman does or why any manager does in that situation. You know, the, the degree of pressure they're under that they're immediately sitting there with a microphone in front of them when they know the consequences of this, not just for their team, but possibly for their employment. You know, I, I, I must admit, I'm often surprised that players and managers don't kind of hit out more often, to be perfectly honest mm. with you. Uh, for what it's worth, I also don't think it's a penalty, but I, I know a lot of people do think it's a penalty, but even if they do, uh, it's not a VAR penalty because I don't think that it's a clear and manifest, obvious error. There's enough doubt there um, for it for the VAR not to have intervened but but there we go that that was the Classico um, it was it was thrilling to watch uh, I thought and thoroughly enjoyed it uh, added to the fact that it was absolutely pissing with rain as well I mean a biblical storm I've not seen rain like that in Madrid for for a very very long time which certainly added to the drama as well hope you enjoyed watching it Atletico Madrid played on Sunday evening knowing that they weren't top of the table for the first time in a very very long time however if they avoided defeat they would go back to the top and that's what happened uh, they got the 1-1 draw just about this was also a very entertaining game I thought the last uh, 20 minutes were really fascinating to watch you felt that it was on the knife edge you felt that Atleti were a bit like a boxer sort of on the ropes withholding sort of withstanding the punches still standing still going they managed to get the point even though they had players injured even though Betis uh, had chances as well they managed to get that point do they come out of this Sid as they say in Spanish reinforced having gone top in the face of so much adversity or uh, are they feeling oh god this is slipping away from us I don't know I honestly don't know the answer to that. And listening to Koke afterwards, he was talking, you know, we're mentally strong. Uh, we're going to reach the objective if we stay strong like this, that there's a bit of tiredness, but that's not the problem. The, the question is, is, is in the mind. And if we can be strong enough, we'll be OK. Um, and on one level, at least I can see that. I can see that, for example, for the first half an hour, at least they played very well. But they then created chances in the last 10 minutes, having been under the cosh for a bit in the second half. And Oblak had to rescue them a couple of times. But... I must admit, for quite a lot of the second half, I was thinking, this is falling apart now. Um, I don't know how the players will, will, will mentally react to it. I thought that Jimenez's response at the end, where he just kind of sits on the turf on his own, um, tells you something. Uh, I think that, but then that could just tell you something, about, I suppose, about the tiredness of the game itself and the disappointment of the game itself rather than something beyond that. But I think, um, I think it's just four wins in 11 now in La Liga. Uh, I think they can't help but look at that and think that this is a problem, that it's slipping away from them. Uh, I think that... I I think that we are seeing that their squad depth is not as not as significant as Madrid or Barcelona's even though we've talked about them having a good squad I still you know I think if you're ending up with Saul and Correa as your forwards then there is a problem and then Vitolo comes on um I think that there is a lack of creative quality in there that Madrid and Barcelona have much much more of and so I honestly don't know I mean Simeone said after the game I love this period of the season well yeah I suppose that's probably true and you didn't necessarily expect to be in this position and 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 so on um, but I must admit, my feeling yesterday, which I know is a big exaggeration to say of a team that's currently top, 
was that their title challenge has gone already. Now, I know, of course, it hasn't gone. But the feeling was, I just don't see how they win the league now. Uh, They only dropped seven points in the first 19 league games this season. They've dropped 16 in their last 11. You You feel like it's slipped away from them already. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I just when was the last time you watched them play a game and thought wow they won that comfortably you just feel like it's not to say that they can't now find a way through and, and win all of these eight games but you just sort of feel like every single game they're going to be on edge whereas with Madrid and Barcelona you look at the fixtures and think now oh, there's at least a handful of games there where they'll win that and it won't even be a problem now I know it doesn't always work like that and you've already mentioned the long list of games that Real Madrid have played where they lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to or dropped points to teams that they should have dropped because as well as those defeats there's a draw with Elche and a draw with Osasuna for example Um, but I I just watched Atletico and it felt like yeah it sort of felt like it had gone now I don't know if that's partly just the kind of the the dynamics of this recent run or whether there's a bit more to it and there are some there are some things that go against Real Madrid for example I mean Zidane we didn't talk about this Zidane after the game very very clear on Saturday night to say that teams at the edge right on the limits physically you know can't do it anymore um, but I feel like Madrid have things that, that, that can find them through I sort of feel like with Atletico that might not be the case now this is a, a special game perhaps because they're without Lamar they're without Suarez they're without um, Llorente they then have Jao Felix go off injured they have um, Kieran Trippier go off injured that's five starters gone and the reaction at the end is pretty good but Oh, and uh, sorry, Dembele is another one who was absent, who who I think probably would have played in the scenario in which Suarez isn't there. But yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's just pessimism talking. But I look at Atletico Madrid and and, and I, I I feel like it's gone. Yeah, I do, I do. I really do feel like it's gone. I I hope I'm wrong, but I do feel like it's gone. Okay. Um... They do have some winnable games coming up. They're at home to Abar and Wesker the next couple of matches. If they win both of those, perhaps they'll be a bit more reinforced and a bit more confident. But as we said, the title race is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's, that, that would help. It's, uh, it's brilliant and uh, we're, uh, we're very much looking forward to the, uh, to the title uh, running. Uh, by the way, I have to tell you about our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TSFP, where we do loads and loads of Spanish football content daily. Uh, paper reviews from producer Al. Sorry, executive producer Al. He's been promoted, and he'd like us to make that uh, abundantly <laughs> clear to, to everyone. Uh, we also do a Q and A podcast every Tuesday. So if there's something that we haven't spoken about on the Monday pod, send us a question. We will talk about it on the Q and A pod. We do a bonus pod every Thursday as well. And there's a new series of TSFP presents Sliding Doors, uh, which is out, and uh, there, we're three episodes into that. You get access to all our archives. Every bonus pod we've ever done uh, is on Patreon com forward slash tsfp so come and join us from uh five euros a month uh, i think it's pretty good pretty good spanish footballing audio content value um sid uh we need to quickly talk about the bottom of the table and, and wesker and their potential for pulling off a miracle they were in the relegation zone for 23 consecutive match days most of them they were bottom of the table but they beat elche on friday night as we mentioned a particularly sweet win for pacheta the manager who got elche promoted last season and then was promptly sacked uh, he was uh, brought in by uh, wesker a couple of months ago and uh, he's uh, uh, got them playing better 
playing more effectively. I don't know if they're playing better, actually, because they played quite well under Mitchell, but they're playing more effectively. They're winning games, which before they weren't. They were playing well, but not winning. Now they're winning. Now they're out of the bottom three. And now it's possible for them to dream of avoiding relegation. By the way, Pachetta, he follows us on Twitter, Sydney. Did you know that? Uh, I, I did know that. The pod, but he follows us. He follows I, I would us. like to think he listens to the pod. If, if, if he did, good work. Good work, Pachetta. He's a big fan of the caveats, I'm sure. But yeah, Wesker, it, it, incredible. Although, for a large part of the season, we've been saying they're playing really well. They don't deserve yeah. to be bottom of the table. They should be picking up more points than, they, than, they, uh, than they've got. So perhaps, I guess, this is vindication for, for some of those performances. Yeah, I think it is a little bit. I mean, I think the, the shift, obviously, is the, 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 the greater focus on Rafa Mir now. And so that brings with it a slight change in the way that they mm. play. A little bit more direct, a little bit more based on, on, on crosses. But they're still... Still, you know, they, 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 they were a better, as you say, they were a better side then than their league position suggested. This is feels like a more natural reflection of their league position, and possibly even a couple of places higher than this. And Pacheta, when he took over, there's that brilliant video. It's well worth going and, and, and finding it if you get the chance of him saying. So I looked at the table. So so Wesker are down then, are they? Right, okay, Wesker are down. Right, forget it then. Uh, and then he says, "Get ready, wait for us." <laughs> so, que no, que, what is it? Que se preparen, que nos esperen. You know, basically, we're coming for you. And uh, and, and and they have. He also said. Um, he also said. He also said you only have to be out of the relegation zone at the end of the season on the yeah. final day. That's when you have to be out of the relegation yeah, yeah. zone. That, that, that's what it really matters. Yeah, you can be so, out of it or not out of it so, all the yeah, rest of the time. The question is on, on week on the end of week thirty eight. Are you out of it? That, that, that's when you've got to be out of it and currently they are Abar bottom of the table uh, they're only uh, three points from safety I think or is it four, four points from safety but the, the dynamic as they say in Spanish is, is not good for Abar nor is it for Alaves as well and, and nor is it for Elche particularly those are the bottom three uh, Valladolid and Huesca are just a point out of the bottom three Getafe are uh, involved in this relegation battle as well they're just four points above uh, the uh, drop zone going to be very very interesting to see who's uh, uh, going down, I said on on La Liga TV last week. I think I was put on the spot, and I said Wesca because I was. I, I said they've been playing so well, but not getting victories. I said Wesca, uh, Elche, and Abar. Uh, that's who I think are going down. I've got to stick to it uh, because you know it would be uh, uh, too advantageous. So, what's ventajista in in? In, in, in English, uh, opportunistic, I suppose. Opportunistic, there we go. It'd be too opportunistic, opportunistic for me to say, yeah. no, Wesker are staying up, even though they've won two games. So I'm going with Wesker, Elche, and Eibar. Who do you think is going down soon? Well, as you say, Getafe could be dragged into it, not least because their next two games are Madrid and Barcelona. Um, sorry, uh, Atletico and Barcelona. Hang on, is it Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico and Barcelona? Mm. Anyway, it's, it's two of the three. Real Madrid. And Real then Madrid Barcelona, which is, the, which is yeah. week 33, moved in between weeks 31 and 32. Don't ask. Um... The who is going down? Alaves. Yeah. Um. Abar. Elche and Abar. So the bottom three, the current bottom three. Okay, there we go. Really sticking your neck out, Sid. Well done. Um, Yeah. yeah, No. Do you know what? I say that without looking at the bottom of the table, though. So I mean, I I, I, or admitted that you've just said what it is, but I wasn't listening. (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that now. I wasn't looking at the table. I was just. before we go, uh, in the Segunda División, Espanol are two points clear uh, at the top, ten points clear of uh, third spot after beating Leganes 2-1 last night. Mallorca still second. They beat Lugo. El Maria are eight points off the top two now after losing uh, 2-1 to Zaragoza. Uh, Rio beat Girona 2-1. They came from behind again, and they're now looking pretty comfortable to uh, finish uh, in the... Uh, 
playoffs. I mean, sorry, sorry. That's 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 producer Al who's written this. Rio are never comfortable. They're never looking comfortable at all, ever. But um, in theory, in theory, <laughs> in practice, hmm. He's just trying. He's just trying to make no, no. you feel better. He's making. He's writing this because he thinks to himself, Kitro yeah. will read this. No game of Rio is comfortable, let alone their position uh, in the uh, uh, in the table. Oviedo, meanwhile, drew nil nil with Las Palmas. They're only oh, there's a surprise. They're only five points off the bottom four seeds. You're getting sucked into it again. It's um, yeah, without really being awful, but but just by being not very good all the time. If you see what I mean, without like having games where you think, God, that was dreadful, Mm. but just never really having any that are all right. This week we've got Liverpool against Real Madrid on Wednesday in the Champions League, Man United against Granada and Villarreal against Dinamo Zagreb on Thursday in the Europa League as well. Uh, if you haven't already, give the uh, clip of our latest TSFP Presents Sliding Doors episode uh, that's out now here on the Monday pod feed a listen. We discussed El Clasico turning points, including what if Cristiano Ronaldo hadn't scored in the 2011 Copa del Rey final and even uh, an even deeper a sliding door moment from that game that Sydney expanded on. So come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP for that content and much more. If not, we'll be here next week, as we always are, talking about Spanish football. Adios. Cheerio. Network.